everybody, welcome to the first ever Jedi Dropouts one-shot, and by that I mean this is a single episode, no continuity, no release schedule, uh, just sort of exists in its own little bubble, uh, and it's, it's sort of a way for myself and James and maybe even Mitchell to uh, dive into any topics or conversations we couldn't really fit into the regular podcast. Uh, by the way, I'm Ryan Taylor. You may know me from Jedi Dropouts in Final Form, and if you don't, because I feel like a few people who uh, haven't actually listened to the podcast are joining us, uh, we do everything geeky, basically. That, that's that's the umbrella that the Jedi Dropouts Productions falls under. Uh, so, uh, without further ado, I'm going to get right into this. Uh, what I want to do with the one-shot episodes is sitting down, having one-on-one conversations with friends, acquaintances... Uh, maybe even strangers, who knows, uh, about fandoms and uh, just things in general that they can geek out about. So today I'm sitting down with an old friend of mine, Megan Bateman, about The Office. Uh, <laughs> say hello to the folks at home. Hi, everybody. Uh, so I guess we should uh, start off with um, how we know each other, uh, which... I mean, it's kind of hard to go all the way back. I, I can't really remember a time when we didn't know each other. <laughs> no, I think the most iconic moment in our whole friendship uh, yeah. was the red shovel incident. <laughs> uh, how uh, I was falsely accused. Yeah, the red shovel of, around the world, yep. Yeah, of breaking your sister's red shovel. Mm, oh, I was furious. Yep, and then you hated me for probably almost a decade before we became friends. Yeah, so that would be like dating that. That's oh, how long was it? was that that was we were probably younger than 10 yeah like so like mid to late 90s i would guess yeah when red shovels were all the rage red shovels man um so aside from our little red shovel feud we we've been friends since i'd say junior high high school yeah for sure pretty consistently yeah um and uh i'm, I'm at a loss for words here uh i don't <clears throat> we we have the sort of friendship that I have with uh, a few people, and actually, basically, exactly the friendship I had with James prior to the podcast, where, like, we can go three, four months without speaking a word, mm-hmm. and then you can send me an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia meme, <laughs> like we were chatting ten minutes ago. <laughs> yep. Um, so, I guess we should get into the show we're here to talk about, The Office. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long have you been? I, I know you're. I know you know the show like the back of your fucking hand, mm-hmm. and it it's basically like uh, when you come up in conversation, the office follows almost like before your hometown or your age or what you do for a living. <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's like, true. Yeah. Um, people I know that have never seen the office and don't get anything about the office will save office memes to send me. <laughs> And they don't know what they're about, and they're probably niche as fuck, but they just yep. know it's related to The Office, so they know I'm going to enjoy it. Um, and the crazy thing is, and you, I'm glad that you brought up how long we've known each other, because you've known me long enough to know that I don't, I'm not a big nerd about most things. No. I don't think you've ever known me to ever have this kind of, like, obsession with anything pop culture related, really. No. Um... And the crazy thing about it is that I actually never watched The Office when it was on TV. Okay. Um, because I don't watch TV. Yeah, no, I, I don't you. watch TV. Yeah. Um, and then I got a Netflix subscription. And I don't own a TV. I watch Netflix on my computer. 
So, um... You're off the grid. I am. <laughs> um, but I actually originally got Netflix to watch, I believe it was, like, Dawson's Creek or something of stupid course. like that. Yeah. And I just never canceled my subscription. So, um... I was going through a little bit of a hard mental health time, and I was looking for a new show to watch because I think at this point I had watched something old that I had been watching. Actually, no, I think it was The Mindy Project that I had just finished watching, and I was looking for something a little bit similar. I really like Mindy Kelling. She's very, very cool. I love her personality. Um... And ironically, at the time, I didn't know that she was one of the writers on The Office, but I was looking for something fun, kind of, I'm I'm not a big nerd, I don't like a lot of TV, so I do like stuff that's pretty realistic. Um, so I like the kind of, like, workplace, whatever, and that's what yeah. I liked about the Mindy Project, just kind of, like, normal woes of a normal person. Um, and so how I got into The Office, actually, is that I thought that The Office was Arrested Development, so I was like, <laughs> I really want to watch something with Michael Sarah in it. I think I had looked up Juno on Netflix and it wasn't on there. So I was like, I need a Michael Sarah fix. And I was like, isn't he in that show, The Office? Yeah, I think he's in that show, The Office, with Steve Carell. I think Michael Sarah is in that. So I turned it on and learned pretty quickly that it's not Rest of Development <laughs> and that he's not in it. But um, right from the first episode, I was like, oh my god, this show is fucking perfect um just the cringy dry humor and like how uncomfortable but yet hilarious it is just kind of drew me in and I was like oh my god I love this and like I instantly fell in love with Dwight because he's pretty much the polar opposite of me if I had to say and I just was so amazed that a character like that could exist. So that's pretty much... And then once I started watching it, I wasn't sleeping super great and I was home by myself a lot. So I ended up just basically binge-watching the entire show very fast. And when it was finally over, I was like, well, what do I do now? And for the first time in my life, I was like, you know what? I'm going back to episode one. And so yeah. that has been a continual loop in my life ever since. And that's like, you know me, that's very unusual. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, because of that, it's been a, it's been a journey, me in the <laughs> office. So, uh, to rewind just a second there, uh, you're saying that you're not really one to geek out over things. You're not, no. not, not necessarily like you're not the, the typical geeky type. No. Um, which is uh, just a quick tangent is something I really want to get into with these sorts of episodes. Um, cause even people who aren't geeky, they don't care for sci-fi or comics or video games. I feel like everybody has that little secret geeky side. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, you talk about like, uh, your standard Bayman who <laughs> doesn't give a fuck about any of that. You get them onto the topic of like, uh, trucks or dirt bikes or something and they can get into the intricate de details and you can't get them to stop talking because in their own way they are geeking out everyone has that mm -hmm. side and I love that yeah and I think the office is probably a little bit geekier than a dirt bike a little uh, bit yeah no but it's still not your typical you know Star Wars or you know Lord of the Rings or whatever right so no like you, you don't see 
Jim Halpert cosplay. No. Very often. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, y- you might see something more along the lines of that now with, uh, have you seen, like, John Krasinski as um, Jack Ryan? Yeah. And he's, like, fucking ripped with a beard. Exactly. Yeah. Jim's, yeah. Jim's come a long way. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to, like, just quickly talk about my experience with The Office because it's pretty short. But, like, um, I don't remember when I started watching The Office. Because mm-hmm. it's one of those shows that just sort of crept in. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I saw an episode somewhere and then I picked up the first season. I watched the first season. I didn't really... I didn't make any uh, sudden movement to get to the second season. I watched it a few years later and mm-hmm. I still haven't finished season three. But uh, I, I love what I've seen. And, like, you gave me a sort of playlist to just run through... And after watching, like, four or five of the episodes you sent me, I didn't get around to Goodbye, Michael, and I didn't get around to the finale, because I don't want to finish it yet. I want to go back now, because it's just, like, it gets its claws in you. It does, and honestly, if you're going to watch Goodbye, Michael, you better make sure that you are super fucking mentally stable, because that shit is rough. Um, Oh, man. I usually have to skip it and either go back or go forward. Yeah. But to watch Goodbye, Michael takes a lot out of me, honestly. Mm. Um, Sitcoms have a way of doing that, where it's like like every episode is just hilarious and not that sad until, like, this one episode. Yes. Yeah, and I think my thing... So, I kind of... I love Steve Carell, um, but I hate him because... He left just as his character was developing in in such a way that you start to really like him and you see, you know what, maybe Michael is maturing, maybe Michael is a little bit more self-aware than we think, maybe Michael isn't garbage. And I think, actually, if I remember correctly, one time on a discussion on Facebook, James, it was some kind of like 21 questions thing or whatever, and James was saying how he, Michael Scott was like the only character that could never redeem himself to him or something like that. Okay, okay. But I find... I kind of felt like that the first time through. But the more I watch The Office, the more I really like Michael. And he just leaves when the going gets good. And that Mm. pisses me off because I'm like... You know, but at the same time, when you look at the show and the character arc, I don't know where Michael could have went from there because he was starting to become... So self-aware and, you know, more thoughtful of his behaviors and a little bit less offensive and whatever. So, you know, he went from the British humor version, the intelligent version of, like, Homer Simpson to, you know, I don't know who to compare him to. He's just such a standalone character. And the thing is, is, like, I mean, I do like where the show goes, and I don't know if I'm allowed to do a spoiler, but... Okay. Yeah, I mean, when, how long ago did the show end? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, if, it's got to be at least five years, right? I, th- I, feel yeah. like I feel like if it's outside of five years, you, you should be safe. Okay. So, when they have Andy Bernard come as the manager, and, you know, they go through a couple different managers and whatever, um, I hate to be that person, because I think the show still has a lot of good points after Michael leaves. I know a lot of other Office fans will disagree, but... There were a lot of good episodes after Michael left, don't get me wrong. And all of the actors cohesively make the show really, really good. Mm. All the characters are really important pieces of the show. Um, and I think the quality of the show would decrease, even without somebody like Creed. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, 
Oscar, like, when... I th- I can't think about one disposable character in that show. Yeah. Um, which is kind of amazing, because generally in a show, you can take away any one person, and the show might still be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I can think of other shows where you pull away the the least... The character that has the least airtime, and you're like, yeah, I probably wouldn't miss you. Yeah. And then you take away Michael, who is the, you know the the main part of the show but really he's not because life goes on and the show continues and it's still quite good the characters all develop in their own ways and yeah so i don't know i don't know where the character would have went if he had stayed maybe it was for the better because there was seven really fantastic seasons with him and then the last two weren't as great but still really i think they were really good so or yeah two because yeah season eight and nine um, the show did have to end for sure, um, but I like to think about what other person could have came in other than Andy mm. and been a really amazing manager. And one of the people um, that I think would have been really great, and they did interview him, he did do like a cameo or whatever in the show, was Will Arnett. Oh yeah. And he did interview for the manager, and I honestly think. That if they had put him in, he would have been really good. Yeah, he's he's hilarious. I mean, yeah, Bojack Horseman is maybe another topic that would work for an episode like this. Yes, but, uh, yeah, Will Arnett is fantastic. Yeah, he is awesome, and I think he would have made a good manager. I I like to think about actually uh, Jane Lynch as the manager. No, oh, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is that even though a lot of the people I can think of that would have been a good manager on The Office are funny. Would they fit the very intelligent face acting and the... You know what I mean? Because you can be funny. Yeah. But what John Krasinski and Jenna Fisher and Angela Martin and, you know, what all of these people have in common is that some of what they do is appears mediocre, I think, if you just think about the dialogue. Yeah. But when you think about the you know, the entirety of their performance. Like, what they do is so subtle and so intelligent that it's it's so realistic and it's so believable and you buy it so well that I don't, I don't, I can't imagine better people for yeah. the characters of The yeah. Office. Like, it's like crazy. Someone who popped in my head as just a generally funny guy who would maybe work in a manager position there is uh, Will Forte. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, would he mesh with the, like, the world of The Office, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, a couple of the other people... I mean, okay, so when Will Ferrell came on as the manager, that was horrible. I always skip, the, skip those episodes. I didn't even know about it. <laughs> okay, well, he's only on there for a couple of episodes, and his name is D'Angelo Vickers, and I cannot stand his performance. There's a lot of ways that Will Ferrell could have came in there, and it would have been awesome. Yeah. But the way they had it set up with him... He had a couple of funny moments um, when he said, so Jim and Pam were showing him a lot of pictures of their new baby, and he's like, that baby could be the star of a show called Who Cares or whatever, and uh, or Babies I Don't Care About. Yeah. Um, and that actually got me going pretty good. That was a really good... Uh, and when he was, like, you know, getting somebody to come in and, like, give him, like, a straight razor shave in his office, and, like, he just... He did a lot of weird stuff, yeah. but I think Will Ferrell as Will Ferrell as a person like they could have taken that character a lot of different ways I don't know 
it's I think almost you'd need to have not a huge name actor. Yeah, and, and Will Ferrell's got that special sort of like over the top comedy. Yeah. Like I can think of a ton of comedians who I enjoy but like they wouldn't be believable yeah. in in that scenario. Yeah. I mean like like Jim Carrey always made me like <laughs> He was one of the people they interviewed for Michael's position. Really? Yep. Um, and in the episodes, he was really over the top. He had this ridiculous yeah. accent, and of he course, just kept yeah. talking about the Finger Lakes. Yeah. And uh, he would have been horrible. I tell you who they did interview on those episodes that would have been awesome was um, Ray Romano. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he was good. Yeah. Um, He's like a surprisingly good actor. He is. And I think his kind of go-with-the-flow, kind of like, uh, persona... It worked, yeah. It would that. it would work. Um Yeah, so there's a lot of possibilities, but like at the same time, how do you replace Steve Carell? Yeah. You know? Um so talking about um uh, Goodbye Michael and like all these particular episodes, mm-hmm. do you have a favorite or I do have okay. How, can, how far can you narrow it down? <laughs> how far can I narrow it down? So I do have two favorite episodes that stand okay. out in my mind. And it's funny because um, both of these kind of speak to my sense of humor um, because they both are really offensive to me as a person in a sense, like you or you think they would be, but yeah. they stand out as the funniest episodes I'm, to me. I'm wondering if I'm, th- if I'm, this is who I'm thinking of. Okay, okay. I, I might have actually seen them because if like I watched a bunch of you recommended to me. Right, so I would always recommend these two, they're my favorite. So in, it's, I believe it's the first se- uh, episode of season three, Gay Witch Hunt. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that episode kills me. It is so yeah. funny. Um, I think it speaks to the type of humor that I have and people who enjoy it. So I think there's two types of people who can enjoy Gay Witch Hunt. Uh, Probably people who are really homophobic, but also queer people who have a sense of humor about themselves. Because the, the episode Gay Witch Hunt is so over the top. And yeah. I think any queer person who is like, oh my god, if I put myself in Oscar's position, this would be a giant nightmare... Um, and I think in that sense it is, but the way that we see how much of a douchebag Michael is, you almost don't empathize with Oscar that much because you're too busy just laughing at Michael and who he is and how he behaves. And I mean, the part where he gets Dwight to watch gay porn and he stands up in front of everybody. He's like, nothing to see here. This is beautiful. Just two men, you know, rolling around <laughs> together. And you're like, if this happened at my fucking workplace, the person would be fired. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's exactly. just, it's so over the top. Um, but everything about that show is so intelligently done that, again, it's it's not offensive. It's not crass. It's really intelligent. It's obviously making fun of Michael. I think that if you have an intelligent sense of humor, you know that they're making fun of Michael. They're not siding with Michael, right? Um, Like when he says, you don't call people faggy if they are gay. You call your friends faggy if they're acting faggy. Um, I think we all know people who genuinely think like that. Oh, yeah. 
And if you're at all socially conscious, you're like, wow, you're an idiot. And that's how we feel about Michael. So we don't feel bad for Oscar. We're laughing at how much of an idiot Michael is. And that's what I love about Gay Witch Hunt. It kills me. Yeah. Um, and then I do, this is not even about the funny part of it, but I love that little moment where Jim calls Pam. It's been a while since I watched that one. Okay. So. So, Jim had just transferred to um, the Stanford branch. Yeah, okay. And he calls Pam, or he calls for something and talks to Pam. And it's this awkward but adorable lovesick exchange between the two of them. And even though I'm not, I'm here for their romance, yes, but I'm not fully here for it. Like, I love The Office because of more than just Jim and Pam. Um, but that moment between them is, like, so bittersweet and cute that I do love that as well. Something that stands out to me. But, um, one thing I really love about Gay Witch Home, which you might not know, uh, when Steve Carell, um, did the kiss with Oscar, Mm -hmm. that was unscripted, and it was done in, like, one shot, which is why you can kind of see people, uh, smiling in the background, because... They weren't expecting it. He just latched onto him and tried to kiss him on the lips. And a lot of the show is like that. It's very unscripted. And Steve Carell is so intelligent about his his comedy and the ad-libs that he adds in. So that, to me, is hilarious. Um, Yeah, that whole episode kills me. I can't even... It's just so good. And then my other favorite is Women's Appreciation Day. I knew it. Yeah. yeah. This, this was on the list you gave me. It was. Yeah. And again, it's another one of those moments where I relate to Phyllis a lot because any woman that has ever breathed oxygen has been sexually harassed by somebody, yeah. uh, realistically. Yeah. And Phyllis gets flashed by somebody in the parking lot. And it that's very serious. And I think if that happened to me... I would be shell-shocked. It would be a horrible experience. But that's not even what we think about um, when we think about Women's Appreciation Day because the whole idea of the anti-flashing task force that Dwight starts (laughs) and Michael calling it Women's Appreciation Day and taking all the the girls in the office to the mall to buy something at Victoria's Secret and just how blatantly misogynistic uh, Michael behaves and it's it's so funny um, it, it takes something that's very very serious and makes it so so hilarious that you can't even be upset by it you know what I mean yeah it, it hits all the marks of a good office episode too it does like you're getting some Michael stuff you're getting some Jim and Dwight stuff as well as some Jim and Pam stuff going yeah. on there you've got a little bit of everybody. Yes. And a little bit of every uh, comedic arc that they, they take in the show. Absolutely. And I think it's one of the shows that's a little bit more vulgar without taking over the line. So mm. when Michael says to Toby, I bet it was you that flashed her, show me your penis, show me your penis. <laughs> it's like, he he says right after, he's like, yeah, I knew I shouldn't have said that Like as it came out of my mouth. And... It, it does crouch on that line. So there's people... I, I guess if we're going to use a scale from, like, The Office to Shameless, The Office stays pretty consistently within a line of 
it's vulgar, but it's not too vulgar. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not over the top. It doesn't make you cringe in that way. It's, it's still, it's uh, it's vulgar, but it's still clean enough to be on primetime television. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, that Michael and Toby moment is one of my favorites. When Michael opens his jacket and he has his little fingers stuck out of his fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's definitely one of my favorite moments of that episode. Uh, when Dwight accidentally calls Phyllis Phallus. Mm. So there's yeah. all these, like, really intelligent little pieces yeah. of that episode, but you're right, yeah. it showcases a lot of different dynamics between the characters that are really, really good. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite favorite uh, episodes. Touching on, on like, um, the vulgarity and, and more so the offensiveness of the show, mm-hmm. I guess, um... Uh, I feel like It's Always Sunny is in the exact same ballpark here. Yes. Where if you take it at base level, yeah, it's offensive, I guess. But the the point is that these are exaggerated and sort of over-the-top comedic versions of real-life morons. Mm-hmm. And it, instead of saying, hey, let's laugh at this offensive thing, it's this is how ridiculous you people sound. We're all laughing at you, not with you. Yes. And I think that's a fine line because the people who are that moronic in real life don't get that, no, right? No, not at all. And they relate to the characters. But I yes. think if The Office is a show that if you... Actually, okay, I'll tell you a good quote by one of my friends who watched The Office. Her name is Nicole. Um, and she's like a straight up Meredith. And um, she said this thing once that was like, if you are called an Angela and you are Angela, you'll be offended. But if you're called a Meredith and you know you're a Meredith, you own it. And I think that sums up so much about The Office and the characters because I think we all can relate a little bit to each character, but we wouldn't want to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I guess you'd want to be a Jim or you'd want to be a Pam, but, like, who wants to be a Kelly or a Ryan? Yeah. But we all know people who embody some of these traits, right? Oh, yeah. And I find that The Office is a show where the characters I like best aren't the characters that I relate most to my own life, but are the characters that make me say, what the fuck, the most often. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, Do you do you relate to a particular character on the show? Or? I really relate to Phyllis. Phyllis? I don't know what it is. When- yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Most people would be like, Jim, Pam. But, like, yeah. you relate to Phyllis? Me? Stanley. 100%. You're so Stanley? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm that guy sitting in the back of the room trying to do his work and just completely done with everybody else's shit. That's like, absolutely you. Um, but you're here for Pretzel Day. Oh, yeah. Like, you're here <laughs> for it. Oh, man. My love of pretzels goes <laughs> so deep. Um... The episode where Stanley says that his dream is to retire and buy a decommissioned lighthouse and turn it into a rocket and blast it into the moon. Like, that's literally you, honestly. I haven't heard that, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> not, not the quote, but, like, the idea of doing that. Yeah. That sounds... Um, yeah, I've got my retirement plans, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you are definitely a Stanley. I can see that. Um, yeah. The thing that I relate most to Phyllis with, the moment that I was like, oh my god, I'm in love with Phyllis, there was a lot, but one that stands out to me in my mind is when Dwight bought the building, and he wanted to put a gym in it, and Phyllis pipes up and she's like, basically, uh, her and Bob, her husband, Bob Vance of Vance Refrigeration, Um, if you don't know him, you have a lot to learn about this town, sweetie, Um, but she says... 
I don't need a gym membership. Me and Bob have a gym at home. It's called The Bedroom. And you've known me long enough to know, I think, that is absolutely something that I would say. Um, She just... She's funny. She's sassy. She's a little bit petty sometimes, which I think she highlights the parts of myself that I (laughs) wish weren't there, but I know that they are. She's... Yeah, she's a little bit petty for sure. Um... One of my favorite moments of her is when Michael wants an anti-gravity machine. Of course. At Toby's going away party, (laughs) um, where he performs his beautiful rendition of Goodbye Stranger, but it's Goodbye Toby. And if you can listen to Goodbye Stranger and not sing Goodbye Toby, you are not an office fan. Um, But yeah, so she calls the Yellow Pages or whatever, and she's like, I'm looking for an anti-gravity machine. And the girl comes back and she's like... I don't... I can't find anything about anti-gravity machines, but I can put you through to somebody on antidepressants. And Phyllis is like, okay. Just, like, completely, like... Like, um, just deadpan. I don't... I don't know the actress's name offhand who plays her. Phyllis Smith. Oh, it's her name's actually... The, the character was written for her because she was, um... She was employed to basically sit in the auditions and run lines... Yeah. And the producers loved her so much they wrote a character for her. See, I've seen her in a bunch of stuff now, and she just plays herself, basically. Yeah. And everything. Yeah. And, like, she's always spot-on funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I feel like, I mean, The Office is just the best version of that. Oh, 100%. Like, I mean, they did write the character for her. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite moments. So, the author, Sue Grafton, died recently. And I feel like a horrible person because I was like, oh, Sue Grafton died. And then I busted out laughing because I was like, it's, you know, it's the office. It always comes to mind because Michael is filming an advertisement for Dunder Mifflin and he wants a celebrity in it. And Phyllis says, Sue Grafton's signing books at the Steamtown Mall. And Michael tells her to go down and don't leave until Sue Grafton agrees to be in the advertisement. And then Phyllis comes back bawling because... Sue Grafton wouldn't come and she got kicked out by security in front of all of her friends. And, um, like, who the fuck is Sue Grafton, right? Yeah. But it it just kills me that, you know, they, like, every storyline in The Office is comprised of these little insignificant pieces of the world around us that, you know... I would never think to include in something. I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, that was one of my favorite Phyllis moments too. She was so upset and uh, so pissed with Michael. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying though. Like, like, not to say I'm not gonna. Okay, I'm not gonna put down other sitcoms. I'm a sitcom lover. Mm-hmm. But like, there are certain formulas for other sitcoms. Like, this yeah. is what happens when these characters. Uh, go here and do this and like they, there's like there's it's gotta be a dozen maybe two dozen of specific types of episodes that every sitcom is covered or touched on mm-hmm. but The Office it seems like it really takes the that like workplace idea to hurt and the like the subjects and the topics of the episodes are like these mundane things mm-hmm. and they just take this wacky cast of still realistic characters and and just go straight to hell with it like yes the exact perfect example of what i can think of um for what you're 
an exact, sorry, an exact example I can think of that you're referring to, um, that doesn't really have a formula and it's so out to lunch and it doesn't, it's just so strange. Um, the episode where Michael burns his foot on a George Foreman grill. Um, and that was an idea that I believe Mindy Kaling pitched and thought, okay, this is like the most ridiculous thing I could come up with. But they built an entire episode around Michael stepping on a George Foreman grill. And it is, it is just the mundane everyday life kind of things that, um, you know, and nothing really over the top happens in relation to it. It's not like it's always sunny where one minute, you know, they're thinking about doing something. Like, okay, it's not like it's always sunny where one minute they're talking about trying to get on welfare and the next minute they're crack addicts. Yeah. Like, The Office doesn't have no, that. of course. Um, but, like, uh, the one that comes to mind, and it's just because you recommended it to me and it's easily my favorite thing I've seen on The Office, mm-hmm. uh, the two-part stress relief. Oh, my God, yes. Like, what <laughs> other show can you think of that could come up with that series of events that... Like, it's hard to eat, like, without, like, unless you've seen, like, I've watched it the one time, like, mm-hmm. last week, or maybe the week before, and trying to remember how they get to the fun run, like, <laughs> where, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering, like, pieces of the episode, there's the run, and then there's the fact that, um, like, how do you even get through that series of events, like... So, in relation to the fun run, I think one that I didn't recommend to you that when you go back, it'll make more sense is because, um, actually, this is one of the best. I can't believe I didn't recommend it. Um, there's a bat in the office, uh-huh. right? Up in the ceiling. Yeah. And Dwight lets it out to try to kill it, but then it flies around the office. Yeah. And all day, they're trying to catch this bat. And he finally catches it, but he, because they trap it in between, um, Going back to the atrium, maybe? Okay. I can't think of the word. Anyway, okay, yeah. like between like the front, the bullpen, as they call it, and then uh, in the back, the little space where their break room and their bathrooms are, um, they managed to trap the bat in there. Meredith, God lover, didn't know that the bat was there. So she comes out of the bathroom and Dwight's waiting with a garbage bag and traps the bat on her head. Mm. And she gets bit. Yeah. So then when Michael accidentally runs her over yeah. and she goes to the hospital yeah. to try to distract from the fact that he broke her pelvis, he was like, oh, but I did her a favor because she got bit by a bat and she would have had rabies. So that's when they have the Michael Scott yeah. Dunder Mifflin pro-am fun run race for the cure, whatever. Um, <laughs> Which <laughs> it's, it's so funny because I like up until you said that I forgot that the whole Meredith getting hit by a car thing was part of that two part episode because yeah. there's all the other stuff with Stanley and the the fire drill yeah and <laughs> um like it's insane the amount of shit they fit into just those two episodes and also in the fun run episode um Jim or sorry the one before the fun run episode. Jim convinces Dwight he was bit by a bat and was turning into a vampire. Um, <laughs> and, like, so, my, he, it's so intelligent how he does it because yeah. he, he'll just be like, oh, the light is burning my eyes. <laughs> and he's, like, rubbing these two little spots on his neck. And then as he's leaving, he puts his collar up and he looks behind like this at Dwight. And it lo- he, he looks like a vampire. And Dwight goes... 
could there be a vampire outside of Transylvania? <laughs> well, if it was going to come somewhere, it would come to a Slovenia, so Pennsylvania. And it's he's he really believes that Jim yeah. is a fucking vampire. Uh, okay, quickly, while we're on the subject of Jim and Dwight, favorite prank that Jim pulled on Dwight? Favorite prank that Jim pulls on Dwight. Because that's, that's like a big part of that show, and that's a big draw for it. It is. It absolutely is. Their dynamic is amazing, especially in the end when they really become best friends. I think my favorite relationship on the show, actually, is Dwight and Pam. Yeah? Um, okay. Because they become absolute besties near the end of it. Um, and one of my favorite moments is when Pam's crying about Jim. This is before they get together, so this was in season three. Okay. And Dwight comes over and puts his arm around her, and they sit in silence for a minute, a very supportive silence, and then he looks at her and goes, so you're PMSing pretty bad, huh? <laughs> and it's just, it just sums up everything. Their relationship is amazing. Yeah. Um, but my favorite Jim and Dwight prank is, that's such a hard one. I think the classic cold open with the whole Bears Beats Battlestar Galactica is something that always comes to mind yeah. for people. Um, I think probably the smartest and most well thought out prank was Asian Jim. Uh, yes. That Asian was Jim was great. Definitely one of my favorites. Um, I love the one where he, I don't know why, cause this is so simple, but it just makes me laugh so much when he convinces him to drink the coffee with his feet. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, <laughs> no. but Dwight comes in, and I just love anyone where Dwight's being smug and Jim shuts him down, um, because Dwight was being smug, and he was saying 20 minutes a week or something like that, doing everything with your feet, and you would be able to use your feet like a, a chimp. So he was, like, writing with his feet and, like, tapping on the calculator and typing on the computer, and then Jim essentially manipulates him into trying to drink his coffee with his feet and he just drops the entire mug of coffee all over himself and that one always really cracks me up too it's just so subtle yeah. um it's so hard to pick a favorite prank between them i uh, mean he did so much shit to him i don't know if this is a fan favorite because like again i haven't seen I, I haven't even seen half of the show right um but one that absolutely killed me is um i'm gonna show my knowledge here now uh, where is it Jim leaves briefly in like season two or three where does it he, he goes to the other yeah he goes to the Stanford branch yeah so yeah. When, he, when he's at the Stanford branch the prank he pulls with the fax machine yes where he convinces Dwight uh, <laughs> that it's like sentient yes <laughs> that absolutely destroyed me um he does that with the computer as well so that's when he was sending him faxes from future Dwight Yes, there yeah. you go, future Dwight. Um, him and and Pam played the prank where the Dunder Mifflin website server, they made him think that it was coming alive, basically like <laughs> the OS in Her, in the movie Her. Yeah. And he freaks out so badly. Um, and I think what I liked about that one is they knew he was having a hard time, so. Part of it was to distract him from his breakup with Angela. Part of it was um, to fuck with him, obviously. And then at the end of it, this is when you start to see kind of Dwight and Pam's cute relationship form. Um, he he sees Andy and Angela together. And so Pam writes him as the computer and says, like, you are the superior being, whatever. And, yeah. 
and makes him feel better. And it's just those little subtle things that, you know, it's really cute. But that was a wicked prank. The gator prank in Gay Witch Hunt, obviously, is so funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do love that one. I love the one where, well, the entire Women Appreciation Day episode where um, Pam draws the mm. pervert to look like Dwight, and yeah. then Jim says, "I saw, I found the flasher. He's in the bathroom over the sink." And when Dwight goes in, it's just a little mustache on the mirror. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> that was a really good one too. Yeah, for sure. There's so many in every episode. There's something. I think that's another thing, too, is, like, how do you pick your favorite cold open? Because The Office has mm. brilliant cold opens. Brilliant. Um, and, again, the Bears Beat Spellstar Galactica one stands out to people a lot. But I think my favorite um, that's really underrated because it's so funny. It's so funny. Is when Michael calls Oscar into his office and sits him down and says, Oscar... I have a medical procedure coming up, and I, um, I'm like, I want to talk to you about it, kind of thing. And Oscar's like, Well, what is it, Michael? Right, serious, right? And Michael's like, I'm getting a colonoscopy, and I want to know if there's anything I could do to make it more pleasurable for me and the doctor. Um, <laughs> what should I expect in terms of sensation? Um, should I have a safe word? And Oscar is like visibly uncomfortable and annoyed. <laughs> And somehow they managed to film that scene with both of them keeping a straight face. I don't think I could ever do it. No. Like, the acting is so underrated in this show. Absolutely it is. Um, <clears throat> I know um, pe certain people, and by certain people I mean my fiancé, <laughs> would definitely disagree in me saying that that is Steve Carell's, like, best acting ever. Yes. She's... Big on uh, Little Miss Sunshine, which oh, I think is yeah. I think is uh, a close second and definitely uh, his most dramatic role. Like, mm -hmm. but uh, like Steve Carell is just absolutely on fire in the show. He is. He really yeah. is. Yeah. No, he really is. He is. He's the star of the show without being the center of attention. Yeah. Yeah. Like. like yeah. The storyline doesn't have to revolve around him. Yeah. But he, like, he steals every scene that he's in. He, like, mm -hmm. he, he is fully on his game whenever he's on screen. Absolutely. Every word, every facial expression. Yeah. Not to say that the others aren't, but like, it's just it's it's just more dynamic. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I forget his name for some reason, but. The person they had originally hired to play Michael, who I think is very similar to Steve Carell in a lot of ways, okay. but then they landed Steve Carell, is, um, God forgive me, I can't remember his uh, actual name, but he's, he's Saul Goodman on, on Breaking oh, Bad. Oh, uh, Bob Odenkirk. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember his last name. Um, I think he would have been really good, and he yeah. does do an episode where Pam applies for a job in Philadelphia, and he's oh, the manager. okay. okay. And she says, she comes back to Jim and she's like, I can't do it because he's, he's Michael. Um, and <laughs> I don't know why there's certain things in the office. I'm like only a really, really hardcore office fan would know that that's what I'm referring to. Um, he just, in the episode that, uh, Bob Odenkirk is in, he, he just goes, 
pretty, pretty cool. And just the way he says it, if somebody <laughs> says something awkward, I'll just say it exactly yeah. like that. Um, kind of like I know people who like Brooklyn Nine Nine, and if they're a little bit uncomfortable, they're like, cool, 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 yeah. cool, cool. Um, and it's just those little things like that I think are really funny. But I do, I think that he could have been a great Michael. Yeah. Would the show have gotten as much success with him as Michael? Mm. I don't think so. Because I don't think so. That was like it was perfect timing in the office. I mean, the office came in as a mid-season replacement show, which like those things mm-hmm. rarely work out. Yeah. And I mean, what year did the office start? It had to be like two thousand five ish. If I'm gonna yeah. take a shot in the dark there, I could be off. Uh, I think you're right, 2006 maybe, because I think it ended in 2015. But, like, it was coming not far off the heels of 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yeah. And, like, when Steve Carell really blew up in the mainstream. Yes. I mean, like, he had a string of blockbuster comedies at the same time, whereas, I mean, Bob Odenkirk, people know him now because Mm -hmm. of Breaking Bad. Yeah. And Better Call Saul, but, like, not still not nearly on the same level. No. So like no, that did that help the ratings? Um, probably. Yeah, because I know um, I was reading about this. Um, I think Steve Carell had said to a bunch of the cast, uh, a bunch of because there's really not any other big names besides Steve Carell in that show. Like there are now, now. somewhat looking back because Mindy Colling has, has got yes. a name for herself. Yeah. John John Krasinski is starting to break out mm-hmm. now. I yeah. Mean, after the show's been off the air for a while. And Rain Wilson, like, has his little following. Yes. But, like, at the time? No, not at all. How many people do you think go up to Rain Wilson and say, hey, you were the cashier on Juno? <laughs> yeah. Or, <laughs> you know, you were in Six Feet Under. Oh, hey, I was, I'm such a big fan of The Rocker. Rocker, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Like, uh, he's, he, his stuff is not nearly as well-known, for sure. No. Um... I mean, the office obviously put him on the map. Dwight yeah. is obviously a high up favorite with Michael. Yeah. Um and I mean he played that role so well. You know who else is like not a big character on that show, but the actor is actually probably done better than half the cast? Craig Robinson. Big time. Because yeah. Craig Robinson has been in Kevin Smith films too. Yeah. Kevin Smith films, and, like, he got in with Seth Rogen, I think, through that. Yeah. And, I mean, he's he always shows up in the background of, like, every Seth Rogen movie. Yeah. And then he got his own Fox uh, sitcom uh, last year, Ghosted, I think it was called. Yeah. Uh, and he was in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Well, I mean, yeah. so was, um, and that's another one, actually, that's quite famous now that I'm thinking about it, is um, Ed Helms. Mm. Yes. Because, of course, Ed he was Helms, in The Hangover. Course. Yeah. Um... Which, his character on that was nothing close to Andy Bernard. Andy Bernard is one... When Andy comes into the show, he's fucking annoying. You hate him. You want him to go away. He's obnoxious. His character development is wicked as well. Um, Yeah. You fall in love with the nerd dog. You really do. I could see that a little bit. Like, uh, I, I watched consistently through the first, like, three seasons. And then I watched, like, an episode here and there just to kind of pick up the pieces and I didn't really see the character development it was like oh he's annoying oh he's funny now yeah <laughs> he's got a thing going with Dwight that's really interesting yeah 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 he definitely had an interesting uh dynamic with Dwight that I really really liked mm. um especially because of him with Angela but um I think Andy is comparable to your classic Ted Mosby Ross Geller he's yeah. kind of whiny and his love life is you yeah. know he's yeah. 
Yeah, he is, he's that type of character, but at the same time, not to the extreme that the other ones that I just named are, so he's a little bit more likable, right? Yeah. Um, I do really like his character. Um, he does get a lot better. I did like him as manager, honestly. He was good. The last season, they really, really screwed up his character um, quite a bit, but other than that, I have to say, I do really like him. I... The more I, I watch the show, at first I love Daryl, Craig Robinson's character. Yeah, yeah. And the more I watch it, I'm like, Daryl's a douchebag. <laughs> um, but that's I, so his character, you know I what I mean? I don't know if I could ever dislike a character played by Craig Robinson. Like, ever. I fucking love him. I know. Like, I still have <laughs> to love him because it's him and he's yeah. so likable, but he's such a douche. Uh, oh my god. I am a, a huge Kevin Smith fan. I know you are too. Mm-hmm. Zach and Mary McAparo n- never really did much for me. Right. But the only, like, the only thing that ever, like, I think back and laugh about is that scene, <laughs> his line with the dog. Oh my god, yes. Put down the dog. I can't remember exactly how he says it now, but, uh, like, Craig Robinson was the only thing I really, truly enjoyed about that movie. I have to agree. Yeah, I have to agree. His character was amazing. Um, him and his wife. I don't know if you remember the scene where um, Zach comes to his house and uh, his wife, I don't know, there's just like this argument between them. But I think the thing I love about Craig Robinson is he is he has this quiet humor about him. And yeah. he does his Daryl as well, where a lot of times he mumbles stuff under his breath and you're like... That is hilarious. But he's not loud <laughs> yeah. about it like Michael, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and, like, one of the the episodes I really love is his daughter, Jada, um, wanted the Princess Unicorn doll for Christmas. And, like, around Christmas time, you see this meme shared about Dwight and the fa-la-la-la-la-la-cha-ching. Because he, he, every year, buys all of the toys that are popular and then sells them at inflated prices. Oh, okay. And Toby who is white and has a white, blonde, blue-eyed daughter named Sasha, wanted the Princess Unicorn doll, and Dwight only had one left. And he talks Daryl into letting him buy the doll for $200. And when Daryl passes it over to him, the doll is black. And you can see on Toby's face, he's like, oh. And Daryl picks up on that. And it's just this very subtle moment when you're like... And Daryl's just like, is there a problem with the doll kind of thing? Yeah. And it's just this moment where you're like, there's this mutual understanding of this, like, racially tense moment. But no one has to say it because you know what's happening. Yeah. And it's so intelligent and it's that quiet humor that Daryl has. Another one of my favorite really quiet humor moments of him is he's talking about texting a booty call, basically. And he said, uh, he's like... I text her back and I say, BTB, bring that booty. And it's just like a, like a classic Daryl moment that just yeah. stands out to you. Because he's yeah. he's funny and he's just... I do like his character, I have to say. But he is a douche. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, no one uh, listened to this to learn about the show. <laughs> no, because... <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is basically just us talking about, like, shit we found funny. Yeah, pretty uh, much. I don't know if uh, you have anything else to touch on or anything, anything, any closing statements. Maybe um, for anyone who somehow has gotten through like 50 minutes of us rambling about <laughs> The Office, uh, which I mean, like rambling and tangents is basically what we do at Jedi Dropouts right. anyway. So if you liked it, I mean, go listen to more. Um, 
But I feel like if anyone who's listening at this point and has never seen The Office, how would you sell somebody on The Office? Like, like, what's Ooh. your what's your pitch? My pitch for people to watch The Office, and I have gotten a bunch of people into The Office actually, um, is that if you like to be uncomfortable and to cringe and to laugh out loud and to feel secondhand embarrassment, because I do, because I'm masochistic like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you like really intelligent, cringy humor, The Office is for you. There's no other show that's going to give you that level of laughs. Yeah. I realize that The Office isn't for everybody because there's it, that's just not some people's humor. No. But if you like that kind of British comedy, intelligent uh, humor... Or if you just think Steve Carell is really funny, or, you know, whatever, if you like Dwight memes and you love to be really fucking uncomfortable, The Office is for you. And something that I always um, say about The Office, too, I really want to get this in because I can't believe I rambled so much I didn't talk about this. I want to clear something up about Jim and Pam. Uh, Of course, that was the other thing. We had to touch on Jim and Pam. Yeah, I can't believe we've barely talked about Jim and Pam. That tells you how much their relationship means to me, which isn't that much. Honestly, the unsung heroes of that show are Bob and Phyllis. Bob (laughs) paid $1,000 to hug Phyllis, and they have a lit sex life. So you know what? They're honestly the couple to beat. Um... Jim and Pam, yes, iconic couple, for sure, amazing couple. However, something that drives me nuts as a feminist and as somebody who watched the show so much that I know it in and out probably more than I know my own life, honestly, um, is that when people say, first of all, there's two different schools of thought about Jim that comes up in a lot of the office groups that I'm a part of. One, that he is like the champion of the friend zone. Uh, okay. And two, that he is a toxic, like, manipulator. Um, and manipulated an engaged woman into leaving her fiancé for him. Both of those things are untrue. So, my perspective of Jim and Pam, and if you're at all emotionally intelligent, you will understand this right from the first episode. There was never a time when Pam wasn't in love with Jim. And no. vice versa. Um, I think that Pam is the pinnacle of a small town girl who has a very mundane life, who is very talented who does have a lot of expectations for herself, but is afraid to take a risk, is afraid of failure. Um, Pam is probably one of the strongest female characters in any show I've ever seen. If you watch The Office, you have to know that Jim... Sorry, Pam is as funny as Jim. Yeah. Pam is absolutely hilarious. She's an extremely talented artist. She's an incredible character. She's a strong character. And Jim, honestly... Unlike most relationships that you see on TV, Jim does a lot to elevate Pam's goals and to support Pam, which is something that I really like about the relationship. And no, he's not always perfect, but no relationship is. I would not say that Jim is a toxic manipulator. Um, I think that Jim took a chance on Pam because he couldn't wait any longer. And I think that it frightened Pam because all that she knew was shitty Roy and their shitty apartment and they both worked at Dunder Mifflin and, you know, she she alludes to it a lot about, oh, I'm just a receptionist and do I want to be here for the rest of my life and whatever. And I think that Jim is a metaphor for any risk that somebody who's really complacent can take. Yeah. And so I don't, first of all, there is no such thing as a friend zone. And if you are listening to this and you disagree, you can fight me. Um, Unless you have like um, a sectioned off area of your house 
to have guests over in which is a zone that you keep your friends in. Absolutely. I mean, technically, you could have you a friend zone. You could have a friend it's zone. It's not, not the friend zone. But, but a friend zone. <laughs> um, absolutely, you're right. Um, but when people say, you know, Jim conquered the friend zone, if you are honestly stupid enough to watch The Office and not pick up on every cue that Pam mm. loves Jim. Yep. And are we forgetting about the fact that Jim, sorry, Pam kissed Jim at the Dundies. Yep. People keep thinking that Jim came on to Pam, but she, she kissed Jim on the Dundies and Jim just kind of let it go. But I think, again, Jim is a metaphor for everything that Pam... Because I think Pam is honestly probably an unsung hero of feminist characters whereby a lot of us can relate to her in the sense that I think she is just doing what's expected of her. She's working on five as a receptionist. She has a safe fiance. Um, And I think that Pam breaking out of that and actually taking a leap with Jim and leaving Roy in her dust is... Yeah, a metaphor for any of us who feel like we're stuck and complacent in our lives to take a chance on whatever it is that seems risky to us, but that we deeply desire, which is like taking my office fandom to like a whole, you know, kind of corny level. But I do feel that way. I feel that way when I watch the show. Watching the show as a feminist, I do uh, really identify with Pam a lot about expectations of women and making safe choices that are expected of us. Um, And I also, one thing I love about the show uh, from a feminist perspective is that Dwight is probably the most sexist character that's ever existed, clear of Michael. Yeah. Both of them are on the same show. And Steve Carell is a fucking gentleman in real life, but Rain Wilson actually has a charity called Lead a Haiti where him and his wife go to Haiti and do the, it's basically a female empowerment charity for young impoverished girls in Haiti. Yeah, I followed Rain Wilson a little bit on social media and like yeah. he is a fucking pure human. He's so pure. He is so wholesome. Yeah. Like I feel like he's doing just this amount of good in real life to make up for everything he pretended to on television. Exactly. And he's doing a good job of it. Yeah, like, he is an incredible, incredible person. And then, I mean, you have Mindy Kaling, who's one of the writers, a woman of color who is a writer on the show. There's not a lot of female characters, for sure. Um, That is one thing that I will say is kind of in about The Office, although the female characters that are on there are, I think, strong, powerful roles that are Mm -hmm. very entertaining. Um, but Mindy writes the show, and so I think that in itself should be enough evidence that a feministy woman of color like Mindy Kaling writing these jokes just further kind of validates the assumption that we have, which is that it's making fun of yeah. actual real-life morons, exactly. right? Exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's... I can't believe I didn't talk about Jim and Pam, but that that's for sure. There's, I a, think... there's a lot to talk about. Like, it for... <sighs> For a, a show that comes in like twenty to twenty-two minute spurts, like it's a deep well. It is a deep well. I think there's so much beneath the surface with the office, yeah. and there's so much. I think that's why it's easy for me to become attached to the characters, is because it is a deep well, and you do empathize with them greatly. You, I think, because it is a story of the mundane. It's a 
fucking paper supply store. Yeah. In Scranton, Pennsylvania. And yet, we are sitting in a living room in rural Newfoundland talking about The Office. So, like, how is The Office any different from our everyday lives? It's not... And that's something that makes The Office different from anything else you talk about on this podcast, is that it's so painfully the everyday. Yeah. But it makes the everyday magnificent in its own way. Um... And it does. It is. It is very intelligent in the way it keeps up with current events. I mean, you know, the episode with parkour. Yeah. <laughs> um, when they talk about second life and Dwight makes a second second life. Um, there's a lot of ways it stays current. The episode where they're trying to decide if Hillary Swank is hot or not. Um, they spend an See, entire episode. The, the amount of times uh, in the recording of this podcast that you have. Uh, reference something from the show that I, d- I haven't seen, so I don't know the reference, yeah. but I'm just laughing at the very idea of it. Like, the way they spend an entire episode deciding if Hillary Swank is hot or not is, like, <laughs> something that I would absolutely do at my job. Yeah. Um, and, like, that's the thing, too, because it is so realistic in that like, not everybody, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna assume everybody's been there, but, like, there are these jobs... And many people listening can relate where, like, it pays well, it pays the bills, it does the trick, and it's not that you're not satisfied with it, but it's mundane, it's boring, mm-hmm. uh, I guess soul-sucking could be a word for it, where, like, yeah. you're just, uh, you're just going a little stir-crazy, mm-hmm. and you gotta come up with creative ways to try and <laughs> have fun and just, like, keep yourself from going nuts at this job because the money's too good to leave. And yep. there's no real problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, well, uh, there would be in real life. <laughs> If your <laughs> boss was Michael, there'd be real problems. Yeah, you know, sure. like, exaggerations uh, aside, um, like, there's nothing that is worth quitting over, but it's just so boring. Yes. You know, and you, you yeah. really have to come up with new ways to keep yourself entertained and they certainly fucking do they really do they always come up with something um when they have the office olympics you know again back to the hillary swank thing um you know when they have all of their uh conference room meetings when michael proposes like the the movie movie hour thing throughout the week where apparently they used to watch um, I can't remember what the movie was now. They were watching in 10-minute intervals, and then uh, Michael decided that he was just going to play the same episode of Entourage over and over. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Which is so Michael. Um, and then when Michael starts filming his movie, uh, Threat Level Midnight, mm. when they find Michael's script and start reading it in the office. Um, so they always find something to do to make yep. the day pass, and I think we've all been there, especially, again, from a women's perspective. Like, this this moment stands out in my mind, you know, where you have a well-meaning man just kind of crossing the line. And every woman who's been there can relate to this. It's like, I can't report you because what you did wasn't bad enough, but, like, it was obviously a line crosser. Yeah. Um, like, for example, when Kevin gets a scare that he has skin cancer, but it's also Michael's birthday, and then they're at the 
the hockey rink and Michael just skates up to Pam and he's like, you know, all this cancer talk is really scary. You should really check yourself out when you're in the shower and gives her like a breast exam pamphlet, I believe. I can't remember if he gives her the pamphlet or if I'm dreaming that, but anyways, it's just one of those small line crossers where you're like, yeah, okay, well-meaning, yeah, well-meaning boss, but like, don't worry about me and my titties yeah. in the shower. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> and it just, it very much represents the everyday and we can all relate if we have jobs and we can all relate to um i think a big part of it that i really like about the office it's being obsessed with it watching it so often has made me able to manage different personalities in my life better um because you are going to have your angelas you are going to have your tobys and your oscars and your michaels and probably not dwight's because dwight is by far probably the most over-the-top character. Yeah. Um, but we all... I feel like I've had a few, like, understated Dwight's. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, definitely elements of Dwight. Yeah. And I think if you like The Office and you watch it enough, it makes you more patient with the different personalities you encounter in your life. And yeah. it makes it easier to manage that. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a bonus of it. But right. it... It just makes the everyday entertaining. It makes the everyday magnificent in a way that The Big Bang Theory or Friends or any of these classic sitcoms, which I don't like The Big Bang Theory, but I do love Friends. It hasn't aged well, but I do like it. Um, How I Met Your Mother, um, you know, even It's Always Sunny uh, is really over the top. But it just, it, I think it accomplishes its goal in a way that other sitcoms don't, Probably don't try to, but if they do try to, they kind of miss the mark. So, like the Big Bang Theory. I think the closest one in terms of uh, hitting that specific, like, line between realistic... Like, it's realistic, yet fully entertaining and a little over the top, Mm -hmm. but still believable. I think the closest I can think of is, like, Modern Family. Like, I feel like they do a good job, but, like, it's... The tone and the comedy on that show is totally different. Yes, um, I mean, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Parks and Rec are kind of like sibling shows to The Office because they have the yeah. same, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine is obviously, um, and I would say even maybe The Mindy Project, uh, yeah. they, they're less about work and more about the personal lives of the people at work. Yeah. But I think The Office brings in some of that personal life stuff but within the realm of the work um so it does have that more work focus and um the dynamics between the characters exist within that workplace whereas with i find the other shows it's a little bit different parks and rec i think well parks and rec was supposed to be almost like a spinoff of yeah originally in development yeah so um but even parks and rec is just a little bit different um, in its own ways, I don't know what it is, but there's something about the office that makes it just very unique in that sense. But yeah. I think for anybody who loves it, if you do watch Parks and Rec or you do watch Brooklyn Nine Nine, you are going to get a little bit of that fix of you know workplace comedy and the dynamic between yeah. the characters. But you can't you can't replace the office. And we name dropped it a few times. Like I feel like it's always sunny in Philadelphia is yes. also a decent way to get that fix. Because yeah. you're going to be cringing, like, the whole time. Oh, it's so cringy. It's <laughs> but, so cringy. See, they go, they go a little... I'm not going to dive too deep into it, but, like, they go even further in that, like, 
yes, there's a lot of characters on The Office. You're supposed to be aware these aren't good people. Yeah. But, like, every single character on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, you are supposed to look at and say, wow, that is a terrible human being. Yes. You're, you're not supposed to really side or relate to anybody there. No, not even Sweet D, honestly. No. Um, or Frank or, Any, or anybody. Nobody. Like, um, even, yeah. even Charlie comes across as, like, like he means well, but my God, like he misses the mark. <laughs> yeah, repeatedly. Yeah. Um, whereas on the office, everybody has their own quirks, but inherently, I think they're all good people. You yeah. know, well-meaning good people. Whereas on It's Always Sunny, there's no redeemable no. qualities, especially <laughs> oh, no. Char or uh, Dennis. Dennis is. Yeah. Yeah. So they're yeah. It's not even. Uh, so I guess we'll wrap it up there, uh, mostly because I have to get to work, which <laughs> this is not the first or last time that's ever happened on a uh, podcast episode. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. We haven't had very many guests on the show, so it is always great to have another voice on here. Awesome. Thank you and for having me. I couldn't me. think of anyone better to talk to the office <laughs> with. Yeah. If I had done this with anybody else, it would have been a complete disservice to the show. Um, maybe, yeah. Um, thank you all for listening, or what couple of you are listening anyway. <laughs> I feel like this might be like a mixed audience, because I feel like uh, maybe you've got some people who are going to end up listening to this. Probably, who yeah. Who've never heard of our podcast. And then, like, there are some people who just listen to whatever whatever shit we pump out. I, what, however, like, <laughs> why they do it, it's beyond me. Uh, I don't know. Thanks for doing it anyway. Uh, as always, you can listen to other episodes of Jedi Dropouts, or... Again, any other podcasts that just come to our minds over at www.jedidropouts.podbean.com or uh, wherever podcasts are found, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, YouTube, the, the whole shebang. Uh, I always say that if you really feel like getting the early fix, you can break into my house, hack my computer. I've got the raw files on my laptop here. Um, and we don't have a sign-off we never we've never come up with a fitting sign-off for anything so uh, can i okay my yeah. sign-off for the day is going to be if you if you believe that toby is the scranton strangler or not feel free to contact me this is my favorite <laughs> fan theory to chat about is toby the scranton strangler let's discuss you can hit me up um I'm, maybe Ryan will tag me in this on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, you can comment below. <laughs> uh, you can share this in, in hopes to find the true identity. The true Stranton Strangler, yep. <laughs> I think that's a good, end, good note to end on there. Perfect. Okay, later. <laughs>